Now, if our Bible is open to Jeremiah chapter 5, I'd like to encourage you to keep your Bible open as we read from the Word this morning. May we bow together in prayer before we read. Our Father, we thank you for the excitement of this service, for those wonderful testimonies that have encouraged us and challenged us, for the great songs, for the presence of God in this place. We thank you that God is here. And we pray that as we worship thee and adore thee and magnify the holy name of God through Christ Jesus, that our own hearts will be exercised by faith, that someone here without Jesus will be convicted by thy spirit and drawn to the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now and know and seek in its broad places if ye can find a man if there be any that executeth just judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon her. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. Now I want you to get a picture of Judah in the time in which Jeremiah lived. God had sent warning after warning after warning to his people. Several hundred years before this, he had sent prophets like Isaiah and Amos and Micah to wave a red flag in the face of northern Israel. They were all taken up in their sins. They refused to repent. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrian hordes came over the desert and led into captivity the ten northern tribes of Israel. Israel had already divided in about the year 1000 B.C., between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Now, northern Israel was gone. They were in captivity because of their sin. One would think that the southern nation, Judah, would come to its senses and would recognize, be sure your sin will find you out. You cannot go on away from God. If God has his hand on you, where can you go but to the Lord? You can turn to the east and the west and the north and the south. And the scripture says through Psalms, Though I make my bed in hell, take the wings of the morning, even there thy hand shall find me, and thy right hand shall uphold me. And so southern Judah went on her madness, away from God. And God called Jeremiah. In chapter 1, we have the sense of his call. And God said, I want you to go. Now they won't listen. They won't heed you, but there must be a warning. So I want you to go and warn Jerusalem and warn Judah of her sin. The men have led the way into what will be captivity. The prophets and the priests have done the same thing. And when we come to chapter 5, the Lord says through Jeremiah, run up and down the streets of Jerusalem and see if you can find anybody, even one man, and I might spare it. You remember when God was through with Sodom and Gomorrah because of their debauchery 
and homosexuality and their filth. God determined he was going to destroy the two cities. But the Lord has an eternal principle. He says, I will do nothing except I reveal my secret through my prophets. And so he told Abraham, he said, Abraham's my friend, I'm going to tell him. And Abraham began to, so to speak, Jew God down. He said, now, Lord, if you could find 50 righteous people in those cities, would you spare them? Yeah, I'll spare them for, if I can find 50. How about 40? Yes, for 40. 30, 20. Lord, would you, would you spare it just for 10? The Lord said, I'd spare it for 10 if I could find them. And Abraham gave up praying. And God came down and destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. All the way through Scripture, there are warnings like that. And so when we come to Jeremiah chapter 5, and we hear God saying, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem and see if there be one man, just anybody, who would stand for righteousness, who would execute judgment and justice, and I'll spare the city. But I want you to notice the indictment that is brought. We'll not take time to read this entire chapter, but if you'll follow along, look in verse 2. Though they say the Lord liveth, surely they, fair, they swear falsely. They're just hypocritical. Look in verse, last part of verse 3. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Verse 5. I will go to the great men who will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord and the law of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. In other words, those that I was really counting on, who have known the Lord, they've turned away also. Look in verse 6, the last part. Because their transgressions are many, and their backslidings are increased. Verse 7. The fifth thing, thy children have forsaken me and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, they then committed adultery and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses in deep impurity and gross immorality. Look at verse 11, the sixth indictment. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. Verse 12, the seventh, they have denied the Lord. Verse 13, the word is not in them, thus shall it be done unto them. Look down in verse 19. As ye have forsaken me and served foreign gods in your land, so shall you serve strangers in a land that is not yours. Verses 21 and 22, hear, hear now this, O foolish people, and without understanding, who have eyes and see not, who have ears and hear not, Fear ye not me, saith the Lord. There is no fear of God in their eyes. Verse 25, the eleventh indictment. Your iniquities have turned away these things, and your sins have withheld good things from you. Verse 26, the twelfth indictment. For among my people are found wicked men. They lie and wait as he that sitteth, setteth snares. They set a trap, they catch men. Verse 27. The thirteenth indictment. As a cage is full of birds, so are their houses full of deceit. Therefore they are become great and grown rich. Verse 28. They are grown fat. They shine. Yea, they pass over the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause of the, uh, the, cause, the, cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. And the right of the needy do they not judge. Reminds me of the song 
tempted and tried, and we're off made to wonder why it should be thus all the day long. While there are others living about us, never molested, though in the wrong. Verse 30, an appalling and a horrible thing is committed in the land. Verse 31, the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people love to have it so. And what will you do in the end of it all? What a tragedy. Here is southern Judah going deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And there's nobody that cares. And he said even the prophets and the priests preach falsely. And my people love to have it so. All are indicted because we have left God out. We in America face something very similar to this. Our hope is not in the White House, nor in the Congress, nor in a Republican revolution that took place last November. Our hope is in God. Only in the Lord God. Judea was in trouble. Sin was rampant. The land was not cleansed. The people pretended to make known the mind of God, but they were deceivers. They swore falsely. They said flattering words and offered a false peace. The priests, they were the teachers of the law. They violated the law of God. They did not put a difference between the holy and the profane. They did not put a difference between the holy and the profane. I want to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there is a difference between that which is holy and that which is profane. And America has forgotten it. And most church people have forgotten it. And many Christians have forgotten it. There's perhaps a difference between church people and Christians. That ought not to be true. I assume that everybody comes to church comes because they want to. Because they're hungry spiritually. They want to be fed. They want God's Word. But there are sometimes people that come out of other motives. I want to say to you, even God's own favored chosen people, God's people who are bought by the blood of Jesus Christ by a holy covenant, have failed to put a difference between the profane and the holy. You say, well, how is that? Today, and I'm not trying to lambast anybody, but I want to just tell you, today we're going to see those who love the Lord God with all their mind, their soul, and their heart are those who love the games. We'll have a display of that tonight. I like basketball, but I love the Lord better. And I'm not sure it would be wise for us to move a big movie screen in here and say you come to church and we'll show you the Super Bowl and in between times we'll sing about Jesus. I want to give you the opportunity tonight to decide who you do love. The Lord God or the way of the world. There's a difference between the profane and the holy. 
Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. The Word of God makes it very, very clear that you and I who know the Lord must make choices all the time. The people love to have it so. Now let me give you three three, uh, points, and I'll be through. In light of what is said here, these indictments and uh, God's question, can you find a man? Today we're recognizing and honoring our men. Oswald J. Smith wrote this poem a number of years ago. God is waiting in the silence for a heart that he can fill. He must find it cleansed and empty with a spirit calm and still. God is waiting in the silence mid the rush and roar of life, waiting someone's heart to enter, someone quiet in the strife. God is waiting in the silence as the world goes rushing by. Will not someone stop and listen, answer quickly, here am I? God is waiting in the silence. Oh, to know that He is near, earth recedes and heaven opens. God is waiting. God is near. We need three kinds of men. Men, first of all, men who will be men of prayer. Men of prayer and praise. I think prayer and praise go together. That's the reason we sing a lot here. Praising the Lord. I thank God for Arzon and Bailey who stood up here and praised the Lord this morning through tears for what God had done in their lives. Thank God for Chris who almost always gives a word of testimony and it's almost always with tears when he wrote that last stanza of our song at the cross. I thank God for our people gathering together to praise the Lord. Now, we need men of prayer and praise. Prayer is the mightiest force in the universe. And without prayer, we can't stay in touch with God. Prayer is the soul's sincere desire uttered or unexpressed, the motion of a hidden fire within the human breast. Our words in prayer are not always eloquent. They don't have to be. I like to hear somebody pray who's just starting to pray in public. They don't pray all the pretty words that everybody else does. They just talk, get right to the point and talk to God. That's what we need to do in prayer. Don't be afraid to pray. In private, in public, prayer moves the heart of God and moves the hand of God. Secondly, we need men of purpose. In Proverbs 29, he that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. In Isaiah 22 verse 1, the burden of the valley of vision We need men who will recognize that we don't have forever to do what God has called us to do. Sometimes we think, well, we'll just put off till tomorrow. Why do today the things we can put off till tomorrow? That's not a very good slogan. Why put off till tomorrow the things that need to be done today? We need men with purpose. Men who will say, by the grace of God, I'm going to get under the burden and do what God wants me to do. We need manly men. Manly men who will give their muscles to the Lord. I think there's nothing wrong with lifting weights and running around the city and jogging 
and getting yourself in the best physical condition you possibly can be in and be manly. You're not, you're not until the unisex movement came along just a few years ago did men wear earrings. I think we need to do away with those earrings. And be manly men. Men that look like men. Strong, strong, godly, good men. Men with a resolve in their hearts to do and follow the will of God. And to be unashamed in their approach. Manly men. Give of the strength of your life. Young people, give of the strength of your youth. Put it on the altar. Don't wait until all you have to give is some leftovers and you're weak and you're a weakling and you give the, less of, the last part of your life to Jesus. Now God will take that. I've seen old people get saved. Thank God. The man that won me to the Lord was 14 when he was saved. The night he was saved in Arkansas, there was an old drunkard. He was in his 80s. He got saved that same night. After the invitation was over and the service was over, everybody hovered around that old man and just praised God and shouted and thanked God. Here was a man rescued from the jaws of death. Hardly anybody said anything to that young guy, 14 years old. His sister, Stella, went over and said to one of the sisters in the church, would you go over and encourage my little brother? And one person came by and spoke to him. That young boy had a whole life to give to Jesus. He touched thousands and thousands and thousands of lives because he offered the strength of his youth on the altar. That's not to say anything against an old man being saved. Thank God for that. God wants to save anybody who will. But I plead with you who are young, give the strength of your youth. Give the strength of your manliness to the Lord. God wants men with a purpose to see people saved. In Romans chapter 9 and Romans chapter 10, Paul sort of gives a little bit of his heart. He said, I could wish myself accursed for my brethren and my kinsmen according to the flesh. I want to see them saved. I want to see them come to know Jesus. I, I, if, if possible, Lord, I'd, I'd be willing to die and go to hell if, if I could see some of my brethren get saved, people that I love. Now, man, we need some men who say, I, I want that. I want some men to know Christ as personal Savior. And I'm going to live a life that will try to win them to Jesus. I'm going to do what I can to go after them. I'm going to become part of the soul-winning program of my church and go after the lost with Christ, trying to bring them to Jesus. We need those kind of men, men of purpose, men who will not quit. Awful thing to be a quitter, isn't it? Just quit on God, throw in the towel, just to be defeated and discouraged. So I'm not going to try anymore. I tried and failed. I was just going to quit. The man who invented electricity had done that. We'd never had electricity. He failed and 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 finally succeeded. Babe Ruth holds the standard for the most strikeouts in history. He also holds the standard, except for Aaron, for Hank Aaron, for the most home runs. 
if you don't fail at something, you're probably not trying anything. The problem is don't quit when you've failed a few times. Just keep on at it. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore, my brother, beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So just go on going on. Keep on at it. Don't quit. Sometimes people quit on their marriage. Just walk out on it. Sometimes people quit on trying to encourage others. Sometimes people quit on their children. They just give up on them. Sometimes children quit on their parents. Listen, kids, whatever age you are, one of the most demonic things of our age is these kids that hold grudges against their parents. If your parents weren't good to you when you were young, forgive them. Don't allow yourself the luxury of saying, I was mistreated. My dad or mom were mean to me. Or I was abused. I'm going to go to court and sue them. How foolish. Man, God never intends you to do that. You forgive them. And honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Man, Lord thy God giveth thee. I've told you this before. I'm going to tell it again. One of the most touching things I ever experienced here at this church was a young man a number of years ago who got saved he was a teenager, young teenager, came to every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. He, he went out to visitation. He was here all the time. One Sunday, he said, now, I won't be here next Sunday. I said, well, why aren't you going to be? That's unusual. He said, well, I'm going to go. My dad's coming home, and I'm going to meet him. I didn't know the story. He had never told me about it. I said, where are you going to meet him? Tears came in his eyes. He said, my dad's been in prison for 10 years. He's getting out, and I love him, and I'm going to go meet him. Boy, I saluted him. I honored him. You cannot hold enmity in your heart against a mother or a father. We need some men who are free from that, who will say, I'm going to be what God wants me to be, and I'm going to honor those to whom honor is due. And, and fathers, do your very, very best to be the kind of man that your son or daughter could honor. Amen. It's the kind of men we need. Last of all, we need men who will be repentant men, pardoned men. Now, I don't know anybody that doesn't need a pardon. Don't know a soul that doesn't need a pardon. Anybody in this room who's never sinned, raise your hand. Then you needed a pardon, didn't you? Every man, woman, boy, and girl needs a pardon. The only real pardon you can ever get is from God. And if God pardons you, you, you have to pardon yourself. Man, 
If you can get a pardon from God, you need to pardon yourself and pick up the broken pieces and get going again. I've known some people who had low opinions of themselves because of a past problem, a past life, a past sin. And they thought they could never do anything, they could never be anybody because they held this against themselves. This Bible is full of people who messed up and God used them. Abraham went down to Egypt and told a big lie. It caused great problems, but there's never been anybody called the friend of God like Abraham. David committed adultery with Bathsheba. Then he committed murder to cover it up. And when Nathan came to him and said, Thou art the man, he got down on his knees and confessed it and asked God to forgive him and to cleanse him. And all the rest of the Bible, it says Israel looked for a man, a prophet who would rise under the throne of David. David was their godly example. A man who failed, but got going again. Ladies and gentlemen, we need men who will seek the pardon of God, a cleansing from sin in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and then get up and go for God. And not hold their past against themselves, and you and I, who know others who have had problems, we ought not to hold their past against them, but ought to encourage them, get going for God. We need men who will stand tall for the Lord, and the only way you can stand tall for God is to be on your knees first. Get on your knees before God. Ask God to pardon you and cleanse you and forgive you. And if you've never been saved, ask Him to save you. And then the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will cleanse you. And when God looks at you, He no longer sees your sin. He sees the blood. And the Bible says Jesus ever lives in heaven to make intercession for you. That's the reason the saved can never be lost after they're saved. Because we have an intercessor before the throne of God. When the devil comes to accuse us, Jesus is there and says, that's my, that's my child, that's my son, that's my daughter. I gave my life on the cross for them. I shed my blood for them. And God, for Christ's sake, acquits it. And the devil has to sneak back to hell. He is the accuser who will try to accuse you before God. But if you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb, you've been forgiven and cleansed. Go out on those the wonderful privilege of being God's child by faith. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this word from God. We pray that as the angels of God run to and fro through the streets of Bowling Green or through the aisles of Glendale Baptist Church, we pray that there will be some men found who will say, I'll be what God wants. I'm going to put the past behind me. I'm going to be honorable to the Lord. I'm going to make a difference between the holy and the profane. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to love him with all my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand, please. Now listen to God's invitation. What page? 312? Page 312. Only trust him.